0: All right, all right. Good morning. We're good. Yes. Good morning, everybody. Welcome uh, to Christ Center. Uh, What an amazing time of worship. Love the energy and the passion, and it's just so encouraging to be here gathered together uh, with other people who want to exalt the name of Jesus Christ and let him speak to us. Uh, Welcome if you're here. Welcome if you're online. Uh, We just love the opportunity to come together and celebrate Jesus and be a part of what he's doing. So uh, my name is Steve. If you happen to be visiting Christ Center, there is a pastor, Steve. Uh, He's on vacation with his wife, Stephanie. I'm just Steve. Uh, In fact, you can start calling me Mr. Thomas if you're in middle school. That's fine, especially if you go to Pioneer, because you're going to have to there. Uh, But I just get the opportunity to teach occasionally and love the opportunity to do so. And today, I get to... uh, I guess bring a a message to you, some teaching that's pulled out of a letter in the Bible uh, that was written to a bunch of actually regions, not so much churches. Uh, The letter is called 1 Peter. This is the first one that he wrote uh, that we have in the Bible. So I would love for you to open up your Bible or get out your phone, open the Bible app, and go to 1 Peter. Whatever, whatever you may have, if you are analog or digital, it doesn't bother me, but I would love to see you with something with the Bible so you can read along and follow in the text with me. Uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter, and as you find that, I want to just share with you what I think the main idea, the big thought uh, that I had as I was reading 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 12. This little section, reading it, studying it, thinking about it, praying through it. This is kind of the, the main idea that I think Peter wants to share with us. I think it's what he's trying to share with the original readers. Uh, but it's incredibly relevant to our lives. So here it is. This is the big idea. Our destiny is, by God's grace... To become part of his eternal redemptive plan. A force for beauty and good. A people who humbly confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. And choose to live out God's way of love regardless of the way of life loved by this culture. Let me read it again. Our destiny... As Christians, our destiny is, by God's grace, to become part of his eternal redemptive plan, a force for beauty and good, a people who humbly confess Jesus as Savior and Lord and choose to live out God's way of love regardless of the way of life loved by this culture our destiny it's what God has set us apart to be and to do well if that's our destiny then it raises a major question that I will seek to go about answering today and that question would be this how do we go about living out our destiny how do we go about living out our destiny to be a force for beauty and good in a fallen creation how do we be a humble people who confess Jesus as Lord in Christ, but actively seek to make public God's way of love, even when that way of love seems weird to a culture that's in love with itself? Well, Peter has a lot to say about that. We got a large chunk of scripture. I'm going to read through this passage. Uh, if you are a little unfamiliar with the Bible, there's some different translations. They all pretty much say the same thing i happen to be reading from one called the english standard version maybe a little different than the one you're reading from don't worry about it at all same big ideas okay so i'm going to read this passage first peter 2 4 through 12 and as i read i want you to be thinking about what peter has to say about three things who are you where are you and how are you Who are you? Where are you? And how, what manner are you supposed to be? Okay? Let me read. First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 12. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him shall not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe... You may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God, on the day of visitation. All right, there's God's word that Peter had to write that we're going to study and look through. And as I was looking through this passage, and I was thinking about this big idea about our destiny, and this question, how in the world are we going to live out this destiny that God is? calling us to you, I kind of came across three ideas, right? How are we going to live this out? The first one is this. We need to focus on who we are. We are Christ-centered people. We also need to understand where we are, an I-centered culture. And the last point we'll go through today is that we need to envision how we are. We need to envision how we are, the manner we are going to exist in this place that God has put us. But let's start with this. The first thing we need to do that Peter brings our attention to is we need to focus on who we are. We are Christ-centered people. Okay, now I know we go to Christ-center. You're here at Christ-center. This place this church don't necessarily mean that I mean this the idea of centering your life on something right we all center our lives it's the idea that there's a core fundamental deep-rooted reality within you that you seek to express right x is out press push to push out of you into your life decisions and make it visible to the world around you if you're centering your life on something That's what is going to shape your life and press out into the world in which we live our experiences in. And as believers in Christ, we are to center our lives on the person, work, and teaching of Jesus Christ. So that we end up becoming more and more a unique, in my case, Steve, version of what Jesus would look like. Because he is being pressed out of me into the world. If I center my life on Jesus, then who he is is going to manifest itself into the world around me through me. So as Christ-centered people, you could say this. Jesus is our model for living. And you see it in the, the language that Peter uses. Peter describes Jesus as A living stone Jesus is a living stone but then he creates an analogous a comparative relationship between Jesus who is the living stone and Christians who are being made like living stones Jesus is a living stone we are becoming as we gather together in this connected imagery like Jesus Jesus is a living stone. We are like living stones. Therefore, we are people who are becoming like Jesus. If Jesus is our model for living, then as we read 1 Peter chapter 2, the things that describe who Jesus is, the imagery and the actual words, are those things which are true of us and are becoming true of us. So we read that Jesus is chosen precious those words you think about yourself chosen and precious some of your experience in life may be rejected not chosen that's not who you are you're chosen you're precious Jesus is chosen precious right we know from his life that he was the great high priest and he was lord Who reigns in a kingdom? He is chosen. He is precious. He is priest. He's the one who brings forth the kingdom of God. So, what does that mean? We are in our becoming. We are chosen. We are precious. We are priests mediating the very presence of God to each other and to the nations. We are ambassadors for a kingdom. That's who Jesus was, the cornerstone, the foundational piece, and the rest of us are now being joined together. Don't miss the imagery either. It's actually pretty amazing, right? If you're not familiar with the Bible, the imagery that Jesus, that Peter is using here is that Jesus is the beginning of a new temple. He's the cornerstone, the one you put down first that, that sets all the directions, it gives it shape, it gives it structure, it gives it solidity. That's Jesus He's the cornerstone of this temple. And now all those who come to Jesus are being formed together into this community of people who are going to be where whatever happened in the temple happens now. What happened in the temple? The presence of God showed up in his creation. From the beginning of Genesis, in a garden, a unique, beautiful place crafted by God, the presence of God showed up to Adam and Eve who were to subdue the world, the creation, have a power in like a reigning kingdom sense. They were to minister and serve God. They were priests who were going to bring the blessing and goodness of God face to face through all creation. Garden, tabernacle in the book of Exodus, a tent that looked a lot like a garden on the inside. It's the place where God's presence showed up and they were priests and the priests would go before the presence of God and they would represent the people and their sins and their needs and their issues and their struggles to God and they would go from God and represent God to the people mediating that presence in the tabernacle, a tent from Exodus up to Solomon. Solomon, you get a rock temple. You get bricks. What happened to the temple? The presence of God was there. And there were priests. And the priests would go before God and represent the people to God. And they would go from God to the people and represent the people to God. They would take the sacrifices of praise and worship and offering and atonement. And they would bring the promises of God back to the people. That's what they did. Garden. Tabernacle. Where God's presence is. Temple. Where God's presence is. Jesus. The word took on flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled God's presence presence with us, ultimately, in the God-man, Jesus Christ. And now it's with us, the church. As we come together, the very presence of God, his glory shows up, and he's here with us, and we are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a people set apart to declare his praise, to mediate the presence of God to each other and to the nations around us. What an amazing thing we're a part of. What an incredible calling, right? If Jesus is the model for our lives, wow! And I'm overwhelmed, (laughs) right? But there's also maybe even better news. Not only is Jesus the model for our lives, Jesus is the means for our mission. Notice the language, right? I, I am an English and history teacher, so I have to point out some language stuff for you. As you read your Bible, it's always a really good idea to pay really close attention to what's written. Peter writes, as you come to him, that happens to be a present middle participle, as you come to him, you yourself, middle, you're doing the work, as you do what? You come to him, who's doing the work? You are, we are, you come to him, what happens? You yourselves are being made, that's a present passive, passive verbs, the action happens to you, you don't generate the action. Who is it that's making us like Jesus? God it's not you you're not making yourself like Jesus God is as you come to him he makes you so what do we do we have to come to Jesus we have to gather together to Jesus and don't miss out don't miss the interconnectedness language here right I'm not just talking about you need to show up, your personal quiet times, your Bible study, your prayer life. Those are all critical in your coming to Jesus, but it's us. For us to live out our destiny, we have to do it together. We need to be so closely interconnected in this imagery that if you weren't there, it would be like a wall in the temple is a little bit unstable. Because we're connected to each other. So, yeah, how do we come to Jesus? We come to him as we study his word. It's a lot more powerful to study it together. We come to How do you face this challenge? Right? We need each other. We pray together. We confess sins together. We encourage each other. We lift up each other. We read books together. We learn together. We ask questions together. We pray more together. We encourage each other. We learn from each other. We, we adore and love each other. We, just, we need each other. In order to become the things, this, this, this Christ-centered people that are going to go out in the world, Jesus is our means for mission. Who are we as Christ-centered people? We're chosen, we're precious. We're priests, we're ambassadors. And if you're thinking it's too good to be true, like Jesus, we will be rejected. I just saved that part to the end. I didn't miss it. Jesus was chosen and precious in the sight of God, but rejected in the sight of the world. Some people loved Jesus. Some people thought he was interesting. Some people hated Jesus. That's going to be our experience too. A consequence of becoming more like Christ, letting him shape our actual life choices is that you will face more resistance in different parts of the culture. In fact, it's probably a concerning thing if we don't face any resistance in the cultures we live. Jesus was rejected. He was chosen. He was precious. He was the great high priest. He is the king. We're like him, which means we're also going to experience that. And that's the reality because you know what? Where we are... When we understand where we are, we are in an I-centered culture. We are Christ-centered people in an I-centered culture. You know when you play the little game with kids, they got that big cube and you got all the little shapes that have to fit in. And you, you watch them try and put the circle where the, uh, the oval goes and it won't fit. They try and put the, the square where the five-sided figure. I teach English, not math. Uh, the square where the five-sided thing goes and it won't fit, right? That's us, except here's, here's the thing, right? If that little square thing represents every culture in the world, we don't fit anywhere as Christians. There's not a shape we fit in. We're always going to be weird. We're always going to be different. Maybe in different ways, in different places, but we should never fit exactly. Exactly. And we need to, to live out our destiny, we need to understand the the culture in which we happen to be trying to live out a Christ centered life. So, if I were to keep reading, verse 6, right? We are laying, or uh, God has laid a stone in Zion. Zion was another way of referring to Jerusalem. In the city. Where? In it. The builders have rejected this. Who did it? the builders. You, believers, we have been called out of what? Darkness, into his marvelous light, right? We have changed, and yet we stay in the same place. So there's an interesting historical question. Who was Peter writing to? Right? It's, it's interesting, if you study some of the history around 1 Peter, there, there's not a firm answer to it, and it, it's super interesting to me but peter wrote this letter right probably around like 50-ish or so 60-ish 80 and he wrote it to regions he wrote it to geographical cultural areas right and and they were in modern-day turkey right if you can imagine europe and you keep moving over like you're going towards russia and china Right In the Mediterranean Sea, you get Greece, you go around Greece, you run into this kind of funky-looking thing, like a bunch of fingers, and that's modern-day Turkey. We called it Asia Minor. On the inside, we'd call it I-5. On the I-5 corridor, there was a big trade route, and there were some really big cities, culturally influential cities. Ephesus would be one of them. And Colossae would be another one. Thyatira. If you know your Bible, those should sound a little bit familiar. Those are places Paul planted churches. Paul went down the I-5 corridor, if you were to plant churches in Washington. He'd go down I-5 and he'd go, boom, Seattle, Cultural Hub, we're going there. Bellevue, right? Tacoma, Puyallup, center of the known world, right? He's going down these places. um, Because that's the strategic way to go. Peter doesn't write to any one of those. Not a single city is mentioned. He writes to eastern Washington. Right. He writes to Northeastern Asia Minor. He writes to entire regions and groups, not a specific person, not a specific city. And I think that's important because I think what he's saying is no matter where you are, you're in this. It's not a city issue. It's a reality that you live in, right? This is where they're from. Who were they? Nobody really knows. They could have been uh, colonists who were sent to build Roman cities in this eastern part of turkey they could have been christians and jews expelled from rome who left to go try and make a life here in this kind of traditional valued uh, outskirts um, frontierish part of the roman empire they could have been pagans grew up there that was where they lived it was their home And somehow they learned about Jesus and wanted to follow him. But they all had this idea, they have this experience of increasingly being pushed to the outside of the centers of power, of increasingly finding themselves on the margins of the place they lived, of everything changing around them. Or maybe they were the ones changing and began to realize they didn't fit anymore. And I'm sure they were wondering what are we doing wrong? We keep wanting to follow Jesus, and it keeps getting harder. Why? What's going on? What are we not doing right? And so Peter writes this letter, and he says, hey, guess what? You're not doing anything wrong. What did you think was going to happen? Of course the culture is going one way, and you are going another. They worship the emperor as their savior. You worship Jesus as your savior. They worship sex as their highest pleasure. You place sex inside marriage because you worship Jesus. They worship money. You use money to worship Jesus. They worship power and position. You use power and position to worship Jesus. What did you think was going to happen? You're centering your life on Christ. They're centering their lives on themselves so if we jump to our reality our time it's honestly not that much different people are still bowing down and worshiping finding their greatest meaning and, and uh, sense of identity in money sex pleasure power right we, we have different shaped temples very few marble columns but we have malls and businesses and giant houses and all kinds of stuff that that we say this is who i am we want that to give us meaning we still worship the same things in our culture, I would even say, as you watch this coming election year unfold, there's emperor worship going on. There's only one way that we're going to have deliverance and peace. And it's going to be from someone we elect? That sounds like emperor worship to me. Right? It's this, The same struggles, the same issues. Maybe one of the little differences now is that that we see much more in our face this idea of I as the center of who I am. I get to define my existence. I get to be the one who tells you who I am. And you need to accept that. Not accept that I have a right to, but accept that I am right. I get to be my own God. I get to decide what is good. Is it really new? No. It goes all the way back to the garden. But see, we're a people who no longer think I get to decide that. I get to look to Christ. I don't want to glorify me. I want to glorify Thee. The culture we lived in wants to glorify me. They want themselves to be expressed. It's the highest value they have. We want Christ to be expressed. Is the highest value we have. And it's a hard place to live. Because we can live in a manner that is kind and compassionate and gracious and loving, but at the same time, there's places where we have to say things that may hurt or offend or disagree. Now, please understand, one of my greatest concerns is that we go be offensive people, right? We should never be offensive. But some of the things we say might cause offense to people. And that's just what's going to happen when you try and live out a Christ-centered life in an eye-centered world it's going to happen so how do we do this well we need to understand the culture we're in but we also need to envision how we are going to live in this way right now i love that peter talks about what we were and what we are, and then in the middle of that, he sticks this idea of, of mercy, right? We were in darkness, and now we're in light. What did we do to get from darkness to light? Nothing. He moved us from darkness to light, right? We, we responded to the message. We were lost, and then we figured out how to get to God. No. We were lost, and then God came to us. We were enslaved to sins and the, the overdriving passions of life until we fought it off. No. Until Jesus set us free. We were guilty until we did enough good stuff to show God we were worthy. No. We were guilty and could never do that, so God sent Jesus. To take our punishment, our sin, and he forgave us by bringing justice to himself. We should never be arrogant people as Christians. And so when we think of how, when we envision, we visualize, how am I going to live a Christ-centered life in an eye-centered culture? When we envision that, we think about it, we, it has to be at least this. It's got to be humbly holy. And boldly loving. Humbly holy. And boldly loving. I'm going to read this. And and as I read this. Everything in capital letters. I would like you to read with me. Okay. we do that? I'm going to read it. Anything you see in capital letters. In this verse. I want you to read. I want you to say that word. If not it's going to be awkward. Okay. Beloved. Be sure it's up there. There he goes. Oh, good. Uh, Beloved, I urge you as and to abstain from the passion of the flesh. Keep your conduct, the Gentiles, honorable, so that when they against you as evildoers, they may your and glorify God on the day of visitation. Awesome. See those words? Aliens and exiles. We're aliens, folks. (laughs) Sometimes people think we're from another planet. We are aliens. You know what aliens do? They're from a different place, but they live permanently in a new place. We're exiles. We are like long-term immigrants... From a kingdom of God living in this new place. We will be different. We have different values. We have different morals. And we ought to live those. We need to say no to the overpassions, The controlling passions of the flesh. And live holy lives. Not holier than thou. Right? Because we're humbly holy. But holy lives. Set apart lives that seek to live out the goodness and love and beauty and purity that we find in God's teaching to us. Humbly holy and boldly loving. Let your good deeds, they will see them. Why? Because we don't just do them amongst each other. We do them out there where people see and experience. They have needs, they're broken, they're hurting, and we... As a church or as individual believers, we go and we make those good deeds visible in people's lives. Right? If you struggle subduing overpassions in your life, let me suggest this strategy. Live out a bigger passion. It's really hard to not do something you really want to do. It's a lot easier to do something you want to do more. Right? So live a bigger passion. Passion of finding joy in serving others. The passion of finding meaning that's significant and purposeful. The passion of getting involved in the mess of other people's lives so that you can be part of healing and restoring what's there. I got a little bit left and no time. So here's what I want to show you. I want to show you these pictures because I think it's important. There's three ways as you consider how in the world would you get involved in the culture around. How do you envision that? There's three models that have historically represented most Christians approach or church's approach to how we engage the culture outside us. Right? The first one I call the verse vs mindset. You've got the is mindset and you've got the in mindset. So, if you think about this, right? the verse mindset you've got two circles that are totally separate from each other we as christians or we as a church our job is to be separated out from the culture around us we are to be against them it's the fight or flight mechanism we are in a culture war if the word war is somewhere in your vocabulary about how you relate to church or church and culture you're probably floating in this world it's either monastic or it's bombastic, right? It's just, it's that. Okay, does that match up with what Peter's telling us? As aliens and strangers in this world, let your good deeds be done among them. No. You can't separate. There may be seasons or times, but you can't live in that mindset. The other would be the is mindset. You've got two circles, or are basically on top of each other, in each other. The church is. I I am this, right? You acquiesce to culture. You assimilate to culture. You're the same as the culture. You avoid suffering in the first model by either going away and hiding, creating your own little place, or you avoid suffering by gathering your people who think like you, believe like you, you know, agree with you, and you just talk about how bad they are. Right? In the is mindset, you avoid suffering for Jesus because you just, do everything the culture tells you to do. You don't stand out at all. That's not what Peter tells us to do either. They're going to speak against us, even though we do good things. So the last one would be the in model, two circles overlapping. We're in culture, we're influencing culture. We're not separate from, we're not same as, we're sent to the cultures we live in. And in that sent mindset, we go in in order to try and both show the love of God and talk about the person of Jesus. And we're going to hit resistance. And it's going to be hard. And we're going to need each other. And we're going to need wisdom and how to do it well and how not to be offensive. We need to be humble and holy in our choices. We need to be bold in our loving. We need to be ready to take risks, make mistakes, care for each other, be there. But we can't not be in that place. Because that's the place where Jesus has sent us. There's a great Neil Diamond song that speaks a lot to this. No, it's not Sweet Caroline. Right? Right? Hands, touching hands, reaching out, sweet Caroline. Thank you. It's not Sweet Caroline. That's a great song. Uh, It's not song, song, blue. No, everybody knows one. Uh, It's kind of a, the song is Brother Loves Traveling Salvation Show. It's a great song, right? Um, Neil Diamond, who I don't think was a Christian, but he went to a revival meeting and he wrote this song about this, this revival meeting. And, and what I love about the song is that in the middle of the song, the chorus is interrupted by a little sermon. And here's how it goes. Right? I'm not going to sing it. Hallelujah, brothers. Halle, hallelujah, I said, brothers. Now you got yourself two good hands. You got to, oh, and when your brother is troubled, you got to reach out your one hand for him. That's what it's there for You got two good hands when your brother is troubled you reach out your one hand to him because that's what he's there for And when your heart is troubled You got to reach out your other hand and reach it to the man up there Because that's what he's there for how are we gonna live in this this eye-centered culture as Christ-centered people the Neil Diamond approach? Two hands. With one hand, who are you going to reach? Who needs help? Who are you going to reach out to and, and try and connect with and love and welcome and care for? And when it gets hard, when you have the awkward conversation, when, when something comes up and, and there's resistance, you don't quit reaching out. You reach up. You say, God, help me to keep loving this person. Help me to know how to answer this person. Help me. Right? Right? To find the courage I need to speak a truth that may not be welcomed right now, right, you reach out with one hand, you reach up with the other hand, and there 's a great opportunity for that to happen this morning it 's not rocket science. I mean just simple questions: who are you building a relationship with who's not a christian who who are the who are the non-Christians in your life that you're building a relationship? Not because they're non-Christians, but because you love them. You share life with them. Who are they? If there's no one, you might want to go revisit those circles. All right, who are, who are, are you building relationships with already? Where are you already spending your time I have to go out somewhere else. Where are you already spending your time? And again, if it's entirely circled up with us, with Christians, you might want to think about that. Where are you spending your time already? What are you passionate about already? That's a great place to be involved. Something you're already passionate about. When are you praying for open doors to talk about your faith? To give reasons for the decisions you make. When are you praying for open doors? If you try and kick a door open, you'll probably get met with resistance. If you're praying for open opportunities, you might be met with a soft heart. How can others be praying with you? If you're not in community, it's really hard. How can other people be praying with you for those opportunities? And a wonderful question, why not do this right now? So we're going to. We're going to do this right now. Um, Tuesday, the wonderful world of Wenatchee school districts, we go back to school. Wednesday, the wonderful world of Kashmir school districts, y'all start school. And guess what? That's an amazing place to go and try and live out a Christ-centered life in an eye-centered culture so if you are a student I'm going to ask you to be bold get up and come down here you don't have to say anything you just got to move my daughters will go first because I told them all right so uh, if you're a student and I don't care if you go to high school middle school elementary school home school private school it doesn't matter to me at all if you're a student I want you down here if you're a school employee you work for the schools I want you down here please Okay, bus driver, teacher, para, sub, whatever. I want you down here. So I get to go join them in a minute. right? We need to pray for these people constantly. They are bringing the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ into a place that is, is a different world. And they need... Prayer for open doors and open opportunities and courage and boldness. There's a great passage in Colossians 4. You can find it right, in Colossians 4. I'd love for you to pray that for them all the time. Okay, so we need to pray for them because they are going to go out as Christ-centered people into an eye-centered culture where they need to be humbly holy and boldly loving. So I'm going to have Pastor Andy pray for all of us, and then we will be dismissed.
1: Thanks, Steve. Join me. Reach out a hand. Lord Jesus, we are chosen, precious, sent. These people in front of us, Lord, headed back to being in their world, a place where their passions can run to you and to those in need of you you said in 1 John 4 that as we are in the world, as you are in the world, so now are we. Lord, I pray your blessing. We pray your blessing on every person here in in front of us. Ask you, God, live through them. Speak through them. Be kind through them. Bless through them. Not only this week, but Lord, every day as they purpose to make you known to shine in our world. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for
0: wanting to be in us and with us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.